This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Never settle for less than you deserve. Never diminish your value so others can afford you. Valeria Tejas interviews Lori Jean, the author of Crave, Sojourn of a Hungry Soul. Raised in Portsmouth, Virginia, Lori Jean has continuously worked to give voice to the voiceless. Lori Jean writes, teaches, and lives with a ferocity that inspires others to do the same. From the projects of Virginia to the classrooms of Hampton University, she has established herself as an effective leader, an engaging writer, and an inspiring professor. Despite the difficulties associated with being a single parent and providing for her family, Lori Jean began a new journey in her life. She enrolled at Austin P. State University and set in motion her pursuit for higher education. Working part-time jobs and financially surviving on her GI Bill, Lori Jean received her Bachelor of Arts degree in two years of study, graduating magna cum laude. Lori Jean has ardently served Lock Haven University and its surrounding communities. As a professor of English at Lock Haven University, she established Lyrically Speaking, a spoken word group which encourages students to discuss, craft, and perform original poetry that captures the essence of their realities. She served as faculty advisor to several groups on campus, including the Distinguished Gentlemen, a male minority group focused on encouraging leadership, and Diamonds in the Rough, a multicultural dance group. Having served as chair of the APSCUF Minority Retention Committee, Lori Jean also showed her dedication to students at the university level. She and colleagues Ramona Brumer and Kenneth Hall established the Miriam B. Harris Celebration of Excellence Awards Dinner, where students of color are honored for their accolades received at Lock Haven University. She served on the advisory board for Lock Haven University's Women's Center, Haven Outreach Program for Advocacy, HOPE, and she served on the President's Commission on the Status of Women. Meet Lori at LoriJeanCannady.net. Here is the interview with Lori Jean. In your own words, who is Lori Jean? Um, she's a thriver survivor, someone who is always looking for um, ways in which she can grow and learn and um, use any mis- mistakes or missteps that she's had in order to help others 
help them as they move through their lives. And um, Lori Jean is just someone who, who really enjoys life despite many of the difficulties that we all often face because she understands that these are all just temporary circumstances that sometimes hold life's lessons and we have to go through them in order to um, move to that next level. Do you believe we have chosen to go through all these challenges in order to learn lessons? When you say we have chosen or have they chosen us in some ways? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Because I definitely, <laughs> our, of course, our um, choices put us in different situations. But I always, when I teach, I, I use the analogy of like a GPS. Well, the old ones, the newer ones are not um like the old ones where when you were driving to a route, you put your destination in, um, you know where you're trying to go. But if you turn down the wrong street, you definitely put a little extra time on your journey, but it would always recalculate so that you still knew exactly where you were going. And I believe that we all have that um, that destination, whatever it is that's attached to our purpose. Although we may sometimes make a wrong turn, make a U-turn, stop completely. Um, the GPS of our lives is just recalculating as we move. And as long as we don't get too far away from that purpose, as long as once we've learned those lessons, we don't continue to make those wrong turns or to stop off in places that we're not supposed to be, then we can still get to that place um, of purpose where we are meant to be, I believe, where we, what we were born to be. Yes, I agree. I love that analogy. Yeah, it's very clear that way because sometimes we do take our time. Yeah, you spend, I think that might be the uh, state of being stuck, that we don't know mm -hmm. where to go, what to do, and that might be that phase. Some of us, yes, you're very right, we stay there too long. That has been my experience right. too. I was talking to my students about that this morning because many of them are studying to take um, the MCATs and they're all wound up and nervous. And, and of course, for them, these exams mean everything. They mean what they're going to do next summer, 10 years from now, 50 years from now. And they're wearing that. And, I, you know, it's trying to explain to them and even explain to myself that even sometimes if what we have planned that doesn't pan out the way we think it should. That door closing doesn't mean it closed on that purpose that we had. It just means that that wasn't the door for us and that we need to be finding the other door. And as I said to my students today, you're going to knock that door down um, once, you, <laughs> once you realize that that's the one you were supposed to walk through all along. So my next warm-up question for you is expectations from life. What do you want from life at this time? I, um, my mom used to always say, you know, I will have peace if I have to take it by force. Um, <laughs> and yeah. that, you know, that's kind of paradoxical, yeah. but in reality, oftentimes some of the decisions we have to make um, to others, it feels like it's um, forced but the reality is, you know, you have to protect your peace at all costs. And um, and that is all I want in all things is for those that I love and that love me to have inner peace. And those who do not love me, I want them to have inner peace as well. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and just 
what I want most is to be able to move in peace despite what may be going on um, around me, which I still struggle with that. I struggle with, um, as an empath, really feeling others and their energy and taking that with me and allowing it to impact me. And so I have to be very, very careful about, you know, who I share space with because it can definitely impact how productive and effective you are. Have you been practicing boundaries? Yes. Talk to me for a moment about that, Laurie. That has been my struggle too. Well, I'm just learning that I am not responsible for anyone's happiness. I can't even guarantee my own, um, but I can definitely make choices in my life to um, at least put me in situations and places where at least I don't have to fight battles um, that aren't mine or that I've created. And that's one thing that I, I, again, I still struggle with every day, but understanding that I do struggle with it and not seeing it as a, um, a fault that I have, but seeing it as it's part of who I am, the love that I have in me for anyone that I encounter, but that the love that I have for myself has to be paramount. And that's in any relationship that I have. Um, I have been someone who has always put the needs of others before me, and I have just wanted um, others to feel protected, loved, and secure. Those were also things that I wanted for myself, and so I gave them to others thinking that they would give them to me. But as you know, that doesn't often happen that way. So true. And so what I had to learn was you have to give it to you first. You have to be responsible for that part. You can't give it to them thinking, okay, you owe me back because you have no control over what they give back. And and so one of the ways that I establish those boundaries is I try to authentically hear myself, care for myself, like I said, protect my peace. And when I am not doing that good of a job of it, I, I pay attention and I and I adjust. And that kind of, you know, when you start loving yourself the way you're really supposed to, you don't even have to establish those boundaries because a lot mm. of people will stay away. Um, mm, that's <laughs> true. They can't have you true. the way they're used to having you mm. or the way they think, you know, that sense of entitlement true. that you owe them. And you start saying, no, I actually owe myself more and first, then they'll stay away. They'll be angry and they'll stay away, but they usually won't stay around long enough um, to actually get to know the you that you are striving to be. And that is someone who um, understands that that love that comes from within. See, I was loving from a a place of, um, of what's the word I'm looking for, of deficit. I was loving from a place of deficit within with the idea that it could come from the outside and and then I could be filled. And the reality was, no, you have to ingest it first. That's how you get it. You can't um you can't rub it on and think it's you're gonna be able to ingest it that way. You have to you have to practice it for yourself first. And so I found that a lot of people, um, the boundaries, they set their own because it's hard being well. It's hard work. It's hard, especially when you love people who their ways of coping, it's not that they're right or wrong. They're just wrong for you. Right. And their ways of coping 
keep them unwell. But it's I think it is um, the greatest gift that we can give to ourselves and to the people that we love to say, look, you're either going to be well with me or sick by yourself. Like, mm-hmm. I cannot be sick with you. And right. if the requirement is that I'm oh, sick wow. with you, then we cannot. I will love you, but I will have to love you um, with a, with that distance that allows me to continue to be well. That is so true. What a powerful message that, yeah, I have been trying to practice, been practicing, I guess, but sometimes it's just, uh, it has been a challenge still to say no, especially to family members because they insist. So the more I become authentic and I live guided by my own self-love and my own self-respect, then mm. that will protect me eventually. Yes. Right, Laurie? Yeah. Yes. And they will, and you know, and it's, and it's sad when you lose that connection because oftentimes we, we get into these um, very toxic relationships yeah. where it's an addiction right? The, and the addiction is I'm going to fix you. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to fix you. Right. Um, partly because we don't want to, you know, we think we have the answer, but you know, I really had to come to understand, man, how arrogant is that yeah. to think you can um, yeah. <laughs> believe that's your responsibility. And, mm. and, the, and the most arrogance is to believe that they want to be fixed in the way that I think they should be fixed. Some people are OK with living a life that isn't serving others around them. Right. You know, right. I'm not OK with that. Like I live a life in which I want to positively impact others. But there are some people who are OK with just going on on it, you know, on their own journey and not really being as concerned about how their actions impact others. And again, it's not to pass judgment to say what's right or wrong in the world, but I can pass judgment on what's right or wrong for me. And and just being able to identify that, okay, this is someone who is willing to take until I have nothing else to give. Now, how much am I willing to give now that I know that? I was going to say, um, my fiance, we've been together for three years and I've always been the type of person in my life that is just, if you, if I see a need, we're going to feel it. Yeah. That can be very frustrating to people sometimes when you're trying to um, fix things that they're like, Hey, I'm okay with it. Or I have my own way. And you know, one of the things that one of the days that just kind of broke me down with him that really, um, taught me how, how conditioned I was to being used was I was very, very tired one day and he saw me just wore out. And, you know, we were talking about something that needed to be done and I'm up ready to do it. And he said, you know, you're just like a greyhound. You will run yourself to death until someone stops you. And, um, you know, the greyhounds that are running on the track and, and they won't stop. Their hearts will burst. They will keep going. Um, Well, of course they can't then, but I mean, just to run yourself. And it just, what I realized then was, wow, the amount of people in my life who let me run that way, who saw me falling, falling out, who saw my heart bursting, who, who saw me breaking down my body, my mind, my spirit and, and and said, keep running because it's benefiting me. And being able to to identify the people in your life who say, no, I'm not going to be another person that benefits off of your stress, your pain, your hurt. Mm. No, I see you. That was the mm. that was when I knew he was the one. But also, yeah, right, right. that was when I knew I was the one. 
Right. That was when I knew, like, you are so strong, you are amazing, and you have been running. But it's okay. It's okay. Your value is not nestled in how you can be used or of benefit to others. You have so much more to give and it has nothing to do with you being used. Well, that was a, a true awakening. I love this idea that sometimes we come across people that they make us see ourselves better, deeper. That is a gift. Yeah, they are definitely spiritual friends, I call it. I was just going to add that I know a lot of my need to be useful um, versus used, but useful is attached to the trauma that I experienced as a child. And as a, as a, a trauma survivor, the idea of if I'm good and I'm safe... If I'm if I'm of use, then they won't hurt me. Right. Uh, or, you know, my therapist at one point, she explained to me how um, trauma survivors understand the golden rule. And, you know, that golden rule is if you do good things, good things happen to you. If you do bad things, then bad things happen to you. So um, people who have suffered trauma in their childhood equate that to if something bad happens, then I was bad. And and then we teach ourselves be good, be good, be like, be everything to mm-hmm. everyone, be used. And mm-hmm. then we're being bad to ourselves. Therapy works. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is a good time to ask a question about the healing process. Talk to me for a moment about that. How did your healing journey unfold? Well, I am understanding that when I will constantly be in a state of healing, that I will never be healed. Um, And that the things that I have experienced in life, they're not things that I have to overcome now. I've already overcome them because I survived. But um, they are definitely things that I have to um, take account of and and put them in their rightful place. You know, as a trauma survivor and as trauma survivor and as someone who suffers, suffers with PTSD, you can very easily be vaulted back to a time in which you were being victimized. Your body reacts in the same way. Your mind goes back to those places. And um, it is a constant struggle to to situate yourself in the present to ensure that um even though you are feeling that way right now, that that is not actually what's happening. And you have much more control in this moment than you had in that moment. And the goal is to get to the point where that moment is just a moment, a memory, something that happened um, and that it is not a part of your present. But again, that's something that I still struggle with. And one of the ways that I I have um, really set myself on the path toward the constant healing is not putting myself in situations that give me that feeling mm, of right. being in relationships. One, of being open with this is who I am and the people in my life who um, who are, they get an opportunity to be in my life because that's, that's a blessing. I, as I feel it's a blessing to be in, in anyone's life, that they understand that this is a part of me, this trauma Um, it's a part of me. And even though my reactions to certain things don't seem rational to you because you have not had the experiences that I have had, giving them information so that they know, first of all, I don't want to feel that way. 
And if I am in the middle of one of those um, spells where I'm struggling to separate the past from the present, that they have the opportunity to help guide me in that by not um, perpetuating the same traumas that I've already experienced. So a perfect example would be if you're in a relationship with someone and let's say you were a domestic violence survivor. If you're in your partner, maybe raises their hand the wrong way and you immediately cringe. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to get hit. And your reaction is I'm going to get hit. Now, a partner who has no intention of uh, physically harming you might be like, why would you do that? Why? And then be upset that they're being characterized as someone who would be physically abusive. Right, but, right. you know, the people in my life who are close to me understand that's not the time to defend myself against that. At this point, she needs me to make her feel safe. Well, and not even to make her feel safe, but I need to let her know that I am not the threat. I am not a threat. That can be very taxing on a relationship. True. But that's why that opportunity to learn about each other, that time that you take when you get to know each other, and and you you know you learn some of the things that have happened in the past that make us tick now. That's when you get to share that information because, as you know, sometimes we we really do get into relationships too quickly, and then we don't know each other, and then we're not even reacting to the person that we we met. We're reacting to who they were before that we just we're just meeting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. that's part of my healing is. You know, just sharing my truth, not being ashamed of it, because there used to be a lot of a sh- a shame yeah. attached to it. Not being ashamed, not being afraid, being brave in everything that I do and understanding that some, some will question um, my motives. Some will question um, my the way in my actions, but only I need to know where my heart is and what I'm doing. And I think if I continue to live in that way, that will, that will shine, that will outshine any, any doubts, any questions. It's interesting how you always go back to yourself. It's very empowering to hear that. So even uh, taking charge of your healing process, this continuous healing and teaching others about you and how to treat you, that is beautiful. I never heard that way before. So consistently, the way you do, I need to hear that for sure, <laughs> and that's why yeah we are talking today. Yeah. So I do have um, a few more warm up questions for you. The purpose of life. What do you think the purpose of the human experience is? I think um, we all have our own individual. Well, of course, you know, I I, I roll my faith into that. Um, I've been on this journey of, of reading the Bible. I was supposed to read it in a year, but it took me a little longer than a year. And, um, and, and going through and reading, you know, every book and understanding the context, not just, you know, reading a verse and having a preacher preach it, but actually reading it, um, that beautiful imagery, the beautiful messages, the people highlighted in it, um, just people like us, you know, just trying to find their way, writing their stories, and then using those stories in order to educate and guide the next generation, your children, um, their children. I, I, I just, and it's not to say that I think I'm some biblical, you know, <laughs> character or something <laughs> like that. But I think, especially as a writer, what a gift to be able to um, 
to impart, like you said, wisdom or the things that you have learned or your experiences, the good, the bad, the ugly, um, your failures, your triumphs. I think of David and his story and, you know, what he's known for versus all that he experienced. And um, I just feel like the purpose is to leave something behind that is going to um, educate those who will come after us. And to add as much kindness, love, and light mm. in every moment that we exist in. Wow. I truly believe that because we have no idea of what the next moment is going to bring. And, you know, sometimes I feel like that. Sometimes I'm not having a great day and I encounter someone and um, I am, you know, <laughs> a little angsty or, you know, yeah. I don't respond in, in a loving way. But that stays with me. And I just always promise, my, you know, to do better. And in, in some of those situations, I go back because I think, how do you even know what that person is going through? Have you ever heard that quote, um, be kind always? You mm -hmm. never know what someone's going through. I love that quote. Yes, me too. Because you don't know. I mean, you could be the person, that person could have just left a horrendous situation. They could be on their last legs and and you could have been the light that allowed them to say, you know what, I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to try again, even though I'm depleted right now. Or you could be that that push that's just like it's not even worth it. And who wants that? No one wants that. And so my purpose as a teacher and as a learner, as a mother and a daughter, and now a grandmother, oh, just yeah. had my first grandchild, wow. is to just <laughs> leave something behind that makes this space, this place, this world better. I don't know, that's kind of like vague and everybody says that. But, um, <laughs> but I really strive to be the light. I truly strive to be the light in everything that I do. Wow. I love that. Absolutely love that. And I, I do believe that too. Leaving behind this legacy of love, of kindness, clarity, wisdom. Yes. Yeah. That's what we need for sure as humanity. And our failings. Mm. We got to leave that behind too so people can say, oh, she failed hard. She failed hard, but she got up. Right. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. Being vulnerable, it's okay. Right. And, and trying, even though we could fail, but just trying is just, I mean, it, it, there's power in that. Most of us don't even try it because of fear. We are, instead of being driven by love, we're driven by fear. And that's uh, another legacy we cannot leave behind. Right. We're almost at the end and I have like so many questions here. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, it's great that just um, the flow is the flow of the conversation. Yeah, it just took hold and, and became itself. And <laughs> just, that's great. Um, let me ask you a few more questions, Laurie. I have to ask about your book. Mentioned the title of your book. So you wrote the memoir, Crave, Sojourn of a Hungry Soul. Two questions. How did you become a writer and what was the inspiration and also intention of writing your book? Okay, well, I became a writer, um, one, because um, as a little girl, um, because of the trauma that I experienced, uh, you know, like I said, that idea of being good, I used to memorize books, like little poetry books, and then I would recite them to my mother. 
And she would always make a big deal about it. Her friends would come over, come on in, Lori, and recite this book. Uh, and then I'd sit there and I'd just, read, you know, whole book and people would be reading along. But I understood then the power of words, that it could make people happy, it could make them sad. It could express things that, you know, we didn't always have words for. And so that was like my first dive into to just words and literature and the poetry of it all. And then when I um when as I grew up, I started we we, we moved to a, a an area that was a little more difficult to live in, crime ridden. Um, we weren't often, you know, sometimes we weren't safe to go outside because you know things would happen. And so I sp- spent a lot of time in the house, and I was not happy, you know, and I was. Probably today, if I had been seeing a therapist back then, they would have said this little girl is depressed because of her circumstances. But I had no words for that. But I I, I used to read Stephen King. And I always say I read all of his books, The Stand. And I mean, I'm like 14 reading The Stand. That's one of his biggest books. Because his crazy was crazier than mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. so then right. that's what I always say. That's what I said in the book, because to know that someone had that going on in his mind and that that probably those things that he that he wrote about were probably a part of his experiences and he was still surviving thriving a writer successful um had all these books then it was hope right it was hope it was a belief and then i was also as i grew and i studied more and and there's that wonderful tony morrison quote if there's a book you want to see in the world and it's not there write it i looked for books that had stories like mine. And of course, I found um, beautiful, beautiful books along the way, Toni Morrison, Maya Angelou, um, Yanela. But of course, they weren't my story. And so I set out to write my story, not just for girls like me who were growing up in the same area that I grew up in, but for my daughter, um, for my sons, the hope would be that they would read it and they wouldn't have to walk what I had walked, that they would be able to use that cautionary tale and take another route. They'd still have their own obstacles, but they didn't have to go through the ones that I went through. And so that's what really motivated me to start writing, that it had to make sense. All of these things that had happened, um, my um, my therapist said to me one day, um, she called it she said, you and your family, compounded trauma. Right. I never heard that term before. You, you suffer from compounded trauma. And I've always had this belief that it has to have some purpose. The pain has to have some purpose. And that makes it all worth the fight, the tears, the strife, because the purpose will be revealed. So true. I love writing too. And I, I know the power of that, telling our stories and yeah, going through the whole process because this is another process, healing process, writing. Yeah. Thank you for doing that, Laurie, for your courage. And I absolutely love your messages. And when you talk about this legacy, leaving a different legacy in a world for your families and people in general, it just yeah, it resonates with my entire being. So everything is just sounds so true. Um, so I have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. But before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Um, I can read a passage. I, can, I would. Um, I can do that, or we yeah. can. 
Because I think if we, if I read, it's going to be about maybe eight to ten minutes, and <laughs> usually what I read. Um, so I could, I, if you want me to read from the book, I definitely can. But I do have a lot of videos online of me reading. Um, so, and I love the 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 energy that we're having right now. <laughs> so I'd be happy to just continue the conversation yes. and just you know let what needs to come out um, come out. And I'm I'm really motivated to do that because um, I have the medical students that I'm teaching, and the day was the last day of our our time together for the semester in the classroom. And I kept thinking, what can I give them? They're all so nervous about taking this MCAT, and so I decided to um to just we were, we meditated. We uh, I introduced them to um, I don't know if I can say it the, the app that I use that I just um, swear by, but. I introduced that to them and we we meditated and the class ended up turning, they said, into a kind of sermon, but they were catching the Holy Ghost. Um, <laughs> and it just felt so right. It felt much, it felt deeper. It felt, again, um, I felt more connected to them today than I have the entire semester. And so that's why I am definitely encouraged in just allowing us to just continue the conversation and see where it goes. So I have a few more questions for you. Those are the ending questions. I'll ask you this one. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself in life as of today? That I have no control. And I fought it. I fought it tooth and nail. But I, to learn that you don't even control this body that you are residing in, that at any given second, it can turn off. Hmm, and there's nothing you can do about it. That was one of the most difficult lessons and one of the most freeing. Because when I realized that I had no control, all of the responsibility in making everything around me and everything within me perfect, it went away. Um, because it's only by mercy and grace that I get to continue breathing. That was a lesson that I learned in my divorce. I was married 21 years and um, I was very, very dedicated to my marriage, um, to everything that it represented. And it represented healing, I thought, um, in the marriage that I had healed. Um, 21 years, who stays married 21 years? (laughs) And, and, um, and, And I thought we were happy. I thought we were um you know, we our kids were leaving for college, so we were at a place where we were just going to be able to enjoy all of our hard work. But I had also um, controlled a lot of the way in which the marriage was structured, the things that happened within it, and um, and I was always at work, and so I the joy was replaced with work, and when that fell apart and it fell apart in, in such a dramatic way that um I couldn't even I you know one day I'll write about it but not yeah. today. Yeah. Um but <laughs> but I was in such peace. Yeah. I have never had so much peace in the middle of a storm. And I and I use the example I say I, I say God kept his thumb on me. Um yeah. <laughs> just kept yeah. me like in one place because so much was moving around me and that and I had so little control over what was happening. But I just knew that I had to be obedient and patient. That's all I knew. 
that was all I had to do was be obedient and patient. That when, you know, for me, God said, okay, I know you're feeling bad right now and I know your heart is hurting, but go in there and write that article that, um, that you've been working on. And you're like, I'm in the middle of a trauma. You know? <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm going to go write, I'll go spruce up that resume right quick because, and I'm like, I'm not applying for jobs. I'm not um, sending out work for publication, but it was like, because I did the work, because I was obedient the opportunities came to me and I didn't even have to look for them. And again, these were opportunities that I had been seeking all along when I was trying to control everything. But when I just did the work that I was called to do and when I was patient in my pain, it all worked out for my good. And that is a hard lesson. I think that, I, you know, it's so ironic that you asked that because I, I've been writing uh, on my Facebook page um, and in my Instagram just about you know, you get a, you, you post pictures of yourself working out, you post pictures of yourself writing and people are like, oh gosh, you're such a great inspiration. And they think, you know, it kind of happened overnight or yeah. you just always this discipline and you always get it. But I, I was writing about just where my drive comes from and my drive doesn't come from where I am today. My drive doesn't come from these big lofty goals that I have for myself that I'm working toward. My drive comes from everyday being obedient, just doing the thing that I'm called to do in that moment, giving mm. it my best, even if it's 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 as small as take a rest day. That's what you need to do today. You don't need just to write on that that um, manuscript. You don't need to be on the phone with all these people trying to make these connections. Just rest and then doing that. Or when I was in the middle of my marriage falling apart and I didn't know it, this voice telling me, your body is falling apart. Get on that treadmill. You can't even walk two miles with, for 15 minutes without falling apart. Get on anyway. Right. Those are the things that when it all did fall apart and it fell apart, like I said, you couldn't have imagined. You couldn't have written it. it couldn't, there's no movie that's going to write the way that thing fell apart. But I fell together because I had already done what I needed to do to create the structure that I would then need to reside in to, to begin the healing. And if that's, if there's one thing that I could convey, and it, again, it's, it's so hard to even describe. I just know it because I lived it. Wow. I never heard it that way too. Yeah. Being patient in our, in our own pain, right. Yeah. And doing what we are called to do in this moment in not uh, being dwelling on the past or in the future. I mean, you have so many profound messages. For those who already know, I hear a lot of these messages a lot. I read a lot too. So, But it serves as a reminder. It's interesting how we all need to be reminded over and over again about these things. Thank you. Yes. And what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? That I am loved. I am loved. One, I love myself mm. yeah. so much more than I ever did. And so I know I'm loved in that way. And then that I am loved by God. I know that. I just know it. And I see it in others. And so I'm sure of that, that I am still here. So I have more to do. And I have a purpose that I haven't even conceived of yet that is coming my way. And so my job is to get prepared for it. And I'm trying, but it's hard, but I'm trying, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> especially when it's blind purpose. You don't right. know exactly what it is, <laughs> but you feel it 
gaining on you. And there's an excitement there. So I'm excited about that. And I'm knowing that. And I'm also knowing that I get to choose whether or not I surround myself with people who feed me spiritually, um, emotionally, mentally. I've not always known that I get to choose. I used to think that if I were born into something, then I'm obligated. If I married into something, then I'm obligated. Um, If I committed myself to something, then I'm obligated. But I, I know that I know now that when it doesn't serve me or my spirit, that I can choose to walk away without any regret. Thank you so much for your beautiful presence, your timeless wisdom, everything that you do with so much love and purpose. It's just beautiful to witness that, this awakening of the soul, as I call it, of the people, human beings being touched by God and being guided by God. Thank you again. And I do have one more question for you, a technical one. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Um, well, um, definitely, um, I have a website and it's, it is LoriJeanKennedy.net. Um, my name, my author name is now Lori Jean, but you know, you would still have to use LoriJeanKennedy.net in order to access my website, which has connections to all of my social media accounts. I'm really becoming much more active on my, um, Instagram. And so I'm, I'm, I'm charting, you know, my journey in health and fitness and also my journey in writing and, and being a a learner and a teacher. And so you can definitely find information there as well. Thank you so much again. And we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye for now, Laurie. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Lori Jean and her work, please visit LoriJeanCannedy.net. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.